All right. So, welcome to the nervous system. Uh, neurons are specialized cells capable of transmitting electrical impulses and then translating those into chemical signals. So, each neuron has a shape that matches its function, as dictated by other cells with which that neuron interacts. Um, so, the anatomy of a neuron, basically, there's a nucleus located in the cell body, which is called the soma. The soma is also the location of the endoplasmic reticulum and ribosomes. The cell has many appendages emanating directly from the soma called dendrites, which receive incoming messages from other cells. The information received from the dendrites is transmitted through the cell body before it reaches the axon hillock, which integrates the incoming signals. The axon hillock plays an important role in action potentials or the transmission of electrical impulses down the axon. Signals arriving from the dendrites can either be excitatory or inhibitory, and the axon hillock sums up these signals, and if the result is excitatory enough, reaching a threshold, it will initiate an action potential. The axon is a long appendage that terminates in close-up proximity to a target structure, so like a muscle, a gland, or another neuron. And most mammalian nerve fibers are insulated by myelin, which is a fatty membrane to prevent signal loss or crossing of signals. And the myelin sheath contains or maintains the electrical signal from one neuron within one neuron. And in addition, myelin increases the speed of conduction in the axon. It's produced by oligodendrocytes in the central nervous system and Schwann cells in the peripheral nervous system. At certain, at certain intervals along the axon, there are small breaks in the myelin sheath with the exposed areas of axon membrane called nodes of Ranvier. Um, they are critical for rapid signal dis uh, conduction and finally at the end of the axon there's the nerve terminal or the synaptic bouton or knob. This is enlarged and flattened to maximize transmission of the signal to the next neuron and ensure proper release of neurotransmitters which are the chemicals that transmit information between neurons. Neurons aren't physically connected to each other so beneath between them there is a small space where the terminal portion of the axon releases neurotransmitters which bind to the dendrites of the adjacent neuron or the postsynaptic neuron. This is known as the synaptic cleft, so together the nerve terminal synaptic cleft and postsynaptic membrane are known as a synapse. And the neurotransmitters released from the axon terminal will traverse the synaptic cleft and bind to receptors on the postsynaptic neuron. Multiple neurons may be bundled together to form a nerve in the peripheral nervous system, and these may be sensory, motor, or mixed. Um, mixed nerves carry both sensory motor information, and the cell bodies of neurons of the same type are clustered together into ganglia. In the central nervous system, axons may be bundled together to form tracts, and unlike nerves, tracts only have one type of information, and the cell bodies of neurons in the same tract are grouped into nuclei. Okay, so the next thing that we're going to talk about is other cells. So neurons are not the only cells in the nervous system. They must be supported and myelinated by other cells. These are often called glial cells or neuroglia. They play both structural and supportive roles. Um, Astrocytes will nourish neurons and form the blood-brain barrier, which controls the transmission of solutes from the bloodstream into nervous tissue. Ependymal cells will line the ventricles of the brain and produce cerebrospinal fluid, which physically supports the brain and serves as a shock absorber. Microglia are phagocytic cells that ingest and break down waste products and pathogens in the central nervous system, and then oligodendrocytes in the central nervous system and strong cells in the peripheral nervous system produce myelin around the axons. So next we'll talk about transmission of neural impulses. So Neurons use all-or-nothing messages called action potentials to relay electrical impulses down the axon to the synaptic bouton. Um, so a cell's resting membrane potential is the net electric potential difference that exists across the cell membrane created by movement of charged molecules across that membrane. For neurons, this potential is about negative 70 millivolts, with the inside of the neuron being negative relative to the outside. The two most important ions are potassium and sodium. So the potassium concentration inside the cell averages about 140 millimolar as compared to 4 millimolar outside of the cell. This concentration difference makes it favorable for potassium to move to the outside of the cell. And to facilitate the outward movement of potassium, the cell membrane has transmembrane potassium leak channels, which allow the slow leak of potassium out of the cell. 
As it continually leaks out, the cell loses a small amount of positive charge, leaving behind a small amount of negative charge and making the outside of the cell slightly positive. However, as negative charge builds up inside the cell, some potassium will be drawn back due to the attraction between the positive potassium ions and the negative potential building inside the cell. As the potential difference continues to grow, potassium will be more strongly drawn back, and at certain potential, each potassium cation that is pushed out due to the concentration gradient will be matched by another pulled back in. So there's no more net movement of the ion than the cells in equilibrium with respect to potassium, and the potential difference that represents this potassium equilibrium is called the equilibrium potential of potassium. Potassium's equilibrium potential is around negative 90 millivolts, and the negative sign is assigned due to convention and because a positive ion potassium is leaving the cell. So in isolation, the other important ion is sodium. The concentration gradient is reverse of potassium, so there's a concentration of about 12 millimolar inside and 145 outside. So there's a driving force pushing sodium into the cell, and this is facilitated by sodium leak channels. This low leak causes a buildup of electric potential, and the equilibrium potential of sodium is around 60 millivolts, and it's positive because sodium is moving into the cell. Um, so the resting potential is a basically a tug of war. Um, potassium's movement pushes the, pulls the cell potential toward negative 90 millivolts and the sodium's movement pulls the cell potential the opposite way towards 60 millivolts, but neither ion ever wins. So there's a balance at negative 70 millivolts, um, which is the net effect of sodium and potassium's equilibrium potentials and it's the resting membrane potential. It's closer to potassium because the cell is slightly more permeable to potassium. And given the continual ion leaking at the membrane, there must be a means of moving both sodium and potassium ions back against their gradients if a resting potential is to be maintained. So the uh, sodium-potassium ATPase continually pumps sodium and potassium back to where they started, potassium into the cell and sodium out of the cell. So pump kin, uh, so pump K-in. Um, yeah. So neurons can receive both excitatory and inhibitory input. Excitatory input causes depolarization, so raising the membrane potential from its resting potential, and this makes the neuron more likely to fire an action potential. Inhibitory input causes hyperpolarization, so that lowers the membrane potential from its resting potential and makes the neuron less likely to fire an action potential. If the axon hillock receives enough excitatory input to be depolarized to the threshold value, which is the range of negative 55 to negative 40 millivolts, an action potential will be triggered. Um, so not every stimulus necessarily generates a response, and a small excitatory signal may not be sufficient to bring the axon hill to threshold. So a postsynaptic neuron may receive information from different presynaptic neurons, and some are excitatory and some are inhibitory, and the additive effect of multiple signals is known as summation. So there's temporal summation, which is where multiple signals are integrated during a relatively short period of time. A uh, number of small excitatory signals firing at nearly the same moment could bring a postsynaptic cell to threshold, and enabling an action potential. And in spatial summation, the additive effects are based on the number and location of the incoming signals. So a large number of inhibitory signals firing directly on the soma will cause more profound hyperpolarization of the axon hillock than the depolarization caused by a few excitatory signals firing on the dendrites of a neuron. So, if a cell is brought to threshold, voltage-gated sodium channels open in the membrane. As the name implies, these ion channels open in response to the change in potential of the membrane, so depolarization, and permit the passage of sodium ions. There's a strong electrochemical gradient that promotes the migration of sodium into the cell, and the interior of the cell is more negative than the exterior, which favors the movement of positively charged sodium cations into the cell. Um, and from a chemical standpoint, there's also a high concentration of sodium outside than inside, so that also favors movement of sodium inside. 
So as sodium passes in, the membrane potential becomes more positive and the cell rapidly depolarizes and sodium channels not only open and respond to changes to in-membrane potential, but they're also inactivated by them. So when the membrane potential gets to positive 35 millivolts, the sodium channels are inactivated and will have to be brought back near the resting potential to be deinactivated. So these sodium channels can exist in three states. So they're closed, which is before the cell reaches threshold and after inactivation has been reversed. Open, so from threshold to approximately positive 35 millivolts and inactive from, positive, from approximately positive 35 millivolts to resting potential. The positive potential inside not only triggers the, triggers the voltage-gated sodium channels to inactivate, but also triggers the voltage-gated potassium channels to open. Um, so the efflux of potassium from the neuron occurs. So as positively charged potassium cations are driven out of the cell, there will be restoration of the negative memory potential called repolarization. There's an overshoot of the resting membrane potential, so it's the neuron is hyperpolarized, and this serves an important function, so it makes the neuron refractory to further action potentials. So there's the absolute refractory period where there's no amount of stimulation that can cause another action potential to occur, and then there's the relative refractory period where there must be greater than normal stimulation in, to cause an action potential because the membrane is starting from a potential that's more negative than its resting value. So for a signal to be conveyed to another neuron, the action potential must travel along the axon and initiate neuron transmitter release, which is called impulse propagation. So as sodium rushes into one segment of the axon, it will cause depolarization in the surrounding regions of the axon, which will bring subsequent segments of the axon to threshold, opening the sodium channels, and each of these will continue through the rest of the action potential in a wave-like fa fashion until the action potential reaches the nerve terminal. And then after the action potential has fired in one segment, the segment becomes momentarily refractory, and basically information can only flow in one direction because of that. And the speed at which action potentials move depends on the length and the cross-sectional area of the axon. So increased length of the axon results in higher resistance, slower conduction, and greater cross-sectional area allows for faster propagation due to decreased reset resistance. Uh, cross-sectional area, <coughs> sorry, oh my gosh, is more significant than the effect of length. So in order to maximize the speed of transmission, mammals have myelin, which is a good insulator and it prevents the dissipation of the electrical signal. So the membrane is only permeable to ion movement at the nodes of Ranvier, and the signal hops from node to node, which is called saltatory conduction. Um, and all action potentials within the same type of neuron have the same potential difference during depolarization, so increased intensity of a stimulus does not result in an increased potential difference of the action potential, but instead it's an increased frequency of firing. So then we'll talk about the synapse. So... Um, the neuron preceding the synaptic cleft is the presynaptic neuron, and the neuron after is the postsynaptic neuron. If a neuron signals to a gland or muscle, then another instead of another neuron, then the postsynaptic cell is called an effector. And most synapses are chemical; they use small molecules referred to as neurotransmitters. So prior to release, these transmitters are neurotransmitters are in membrane-bound vesicles in the nerve terminal, and when the action potential reaches the nerve terminal, um, voltage-gated calcium channels open, allowing calcium to flow into the cell which suddenly increases the fusion, it triggers the fusion of membrane-bound vesicles with the cell membrane at the synapse, causing exocytosis of the neurotransmitter. And once released into the synapse, the neurotransmitter molecules will diffuse across the cleft and bind to receptors in the postsynaptic membrane, which allows the message to be passed from one neuron to the next. Um, if the receptor is a ligand-gated ion channel, the postsynaptic cell will either be depolarized or hyperpolarized. If it's a G-protein-coupled receptor, it will either cause changes in the levels of cyclic AMP or an influx of calcium. 
uh, neurotransmission must be regulated. So there are three main mechanisms to accomplish the removal of neurotransmitter from the synaptic cleft. So first, neurotransmitters can be broken down by enzymatic reactions, so the breakdown of acetylcholine by acetylcholinesterase is an example, and then they can be brought back into this presynaptic neuron using reuptake carriers. So the reuptake of serotonin or 5-HT is a classic example, and then dopamine and norepinephrine also use reuptake carriers. And then finally, neurotransmitters can just simply diffuse out of the synaptic cleft. So nitric oxide is a gaseous signaling molecule that does that. Oosh, sorry everybody. All of a sudden my nose just got plugged up. Let's see, how much more do I have? Okay, so organization of the human nervous system. So here are the functions. So sensation and perception, motor function, cognition, thinking and problem solving, executive function and planning, language comprehension and creation, memory, emotion and emotional expression, balance and coordination, regulation of endocrine organs, regulation of heart rate, breathing rate, vascular resistance, temperature, and exocrine glands. So the human nervous system has 100 billion cells. Um, so there's sensory neurons, which are afferent neurons. They transmit sensory information from sensory receptors to the spinal cord and the brain. Motor neurons are efferent neurons. They transmit motor information from the brain and spinal cord to muscles and glands. And then interneurons are found between other neurons, and they're the most numerous. They're in the brain and spinal cord, and they're often linked to reflex behavior. So... Uh, processing of stimuli and response generation may happen at the level of the spinal cord or require input from the brainstem or cerebral cortex. Reflexes require processing at the level of the spinal cord. Um, and then if there are scenarios that require input from the brain or brainstem, there are supraspinal circuits used. So the nervous system is divided into two primary components, so central and peripheral. The central is composed of brain and spinal cord, and the brain consists of white matter and gray matter. The white matter is axons encased in myelin sheets, and gray matter consists of unmyelinated cell bodies and dendrites. The white matter is deeper than the gray matter, and at the base of the brain is the brainstem, which is responsible for basic life functions like breathing, and the lobes and the brain structures are, we already talked about that. The spinal cord extends downward from the brainstem and can be divided into four regions, so cervical, thoracic, lumbar, and sacral. Um, the spinal cord is protected by the vertebral column, which transmits nerves at the space between the adjacent vertebrae. And like the brain, the spinal cord also has white and gray matter. So the white matter is on the outside of the cord, and the gray matter is deep within it. The axons of motor and sensory neurons are in the spinal cord, and the sensory neurons bring information in from the periphery and enter on the dorsal side of the spinal cord. The cell bodies of these are found in the dorsal root ganglia, so motor neurons exit the spinal cord ventrally or on the side closest to the front of the body. But yeah, and then we'll talk about the peripheral nervous system. So it's made up of nerve tissue and fibers outside the brain and spinal cord, so it has all 31 pairs of spinal nerves and 10 of the 12 pairs of cranial nerves. The olfactory and optic nerves are outgrowths of the central nervous system, technically. So the PNS connects the CNS to the rest of the body. And then itself is divided into somatic and autonomic. So somatic is sensory and motor neurons distributed through the skin, joints, and muscles. And they transmit information through afferent fibers. And motor impulses travel along efferent fibers. The autonomic nervous system regulates heartbeat, respiration, digestion, and glandular secretions. It manages the involuntary muscles associated with many internal organs and glands, and it helps regulate body temperature by activating sweating or piloerection. Uh, and the main thing to understand about these functions is that they're automatic or independent of conscious control. And then 
A primary difference between the somatic and autonomic is that the peripheral component of the autonomic system contains two neurons, so a motor neuron in the somatic nervous system goes directly from the spinal cord to muscle without synapsing, whereas in the autonomic system, two neurons work in series to transmit messages from the spinal cord, so the first is the preganglionic and the second is postganglionic. So the soma of the preganglionic neuron is in the CNS, and its axon travels to the ganglion in the PNS, and then it synapses on the cell body of the postganglionic neuron, which then stimulates the target tissue. Oh no. Okay, so sorry about that, everybody. Um, but so the autonomic system has two subdivisions, so sympathetic and parasympathetic. Uh, parasympathetic is to conserve energy. It's associated with resting and sleeping states and acts to reduce heart rate and constructive bronchi. It's responsible for managing digestion, including by increasing peristalsis and exocrine secretions. Uh, acetylcholine is the neurotransmitter responsible for parasympathetic responses in the body, and it's released by both preganglionic and postganglionic neurons. And the vagus nerve is also responsible for a lot of the parasympathetic innervation of the thoracic and abdominal cavity. Now, the sympathetic nervous system is activated by stress, so this can include everything from a mild stressor, so also between life and death. So it's also known as fight and flight, fight or flight. Uh, in increases heart rate, redistributes blood to muscles of locomotion, increases blood glucose concentration, relaxes the bronchi, decreases digestion and peristalsis, and dilates the eyes to maximize light intake. It also releases epinephrine into the bloodstream, so it's... There's that. And then we have reflex arcs. Um, they control reflexive behavior. Uh, and then in a monosynaptic reflex arc, there's a single synapse between the sensory neuron that receives the stimulus and the motor neurons that responds to it. So the knee-jerk reflex, so when the patellar tendon is stretched, the information travels out the sensory, afferent, or presynaptic neuron to the spinal cord where it interfaces with the motor or efferent postsynaptic neuron that causes contraction of the quadriceps. Uh, and then in a polysynaptic reflex arc, there's at least one interneuron between the sensory and motor neurons. So a real-life example is like stepping on a nail, which is the withdrawal reflex. So, uh, yeah. So we'll do our concept summary. Uh, so neurons are highly specialized cells responsible for the conduction of impulses. They communicate using both electrical and chemical forms of communication. So electrical is via ion exchange and the generation of membrane potentials down the length of the axon. Chemical occurs via neurotransmitter release from the presynaptic cell and binding of these neurotransmitters to the postsynaptic cell. Neurons have dendrites, which are appendages that receive signals from other cells, the cell body or the soma, which is the location of the nucleus, as well as organelles such as the ER and ribosomes. The axon hillock, where the cell body transitions to the axon and where action potentials are initiated. The axon, which is a long appendage down which an action potential travels. The nerve terminal or synaptic bouton at the end of the axon from which neurotransmitters are released. The nodes of Ranvier, which are exposed areas of myelinated axons that permit saltatory conduction. And the synapse, which is the serve which is the nerve terminal of the presynaptic neuron, the membrane of the postsynaptic cell, and the space between the two called the synaptic cleft. Many axons are coated in myelin, which is an insulating substance that prevents signal loss. It's created by oligodendrocytes in the central nervous system and Schwann cells in the PNS. It prevents dissipation of neural impulse and crossing of neural impulses from adjacent neurons. Individual axons are bundled into nerves or tracts, and a single nerve may carry multiple types of information, including sensory, motor, or both, and tracts only have one type of information. Cell bodies of neurons of the same type within a nerve cluster together in ganglia of the PNS, and cell bodies of the individual neurons within a tract cluster together in nuclei in the CNS. 
neuroglia or glial cells or other cells within the neural nervous system in addition to neurons. Astrocytes nourish neurons and form the blood-brain barrier, which cons controls the transmission of solutes from the bloodstream into the nervous, nervous tissue. Ependymal cells line the ventricles of the brain and produce cerebrospinal fluid, which physically supports the brain and serves as a shock absorber. Microglia are phagocytic cells that ingest and break down waste products and pathogens in the CNS, and oligodendrocytes CNS and Schwann cells PNS produce myelin around axons. So transmission of neural impulses. So all neurons exhibit a resting membrane potential of approximately negative 70 millivolts. Resting potential is maintained using selective permeability of ions as well as the Na plus K plus ATPase, which pumps three sodium ions out of the cell for every two potassium ions pumped in. Incoming signals can be either excitatory or inhibitory, so either causing depolarization or hyperpolarization respectively. Temporal summation refers to the integration of multiple signals near each other in time, whereas spatial refers to the addition of multiple signals near each other in space. An action potential is used to propagate signals down the axon, so when enough excitatory stimulation occurs, the cells depolarize the threshold voltage and voltage-gated sodium channels open. Sodium flows into the neuron due to its strong electrochemical gradient, which continues depolarizing the neuron. At the peak of the action potential, approximately positive 35 millivolts, sodium channels are inactivated and potassium channels open. Potassium flows out of the neuron due to its strong electrochemical gradient, repolarizing the cell. Potassium channels stay open long enough to overshoot the action potential, resulting in a hyperpolarized neuron. Then the potassium channels close. The sodium-potassium ATPase brings the neuron to, back to the resting potential and restores the sodium and potassium gradients, and while the axon is hyperpolarized, it's in its refractory period. So during the absolute refractory period, the cell is unable to fire another action potential, but during relative, it can require a larger than normal stimulus to fire an action potential. And then the impulse propagates down the length of the axon because the influx of sodium in one segment of the axon brings the subsequent segment of the axon to threshold, and the fact that the preceding segment is in its refractory period means that the action potential can only travel in one direction. At the nerve terminal, neurotransmitters are released into the synapse, so when the actual potential arrives at the nerve terminal, the voltage-gated calcium channels open. The influx of calcium causes fusion of vesicles filled with neurotransmitters within the presynaptic membrane, resulting in exocytosis of neurotransmitters into the synaptic cleft. The neurotransmitters bind to receptors on the postsynaptic cell, which may be ligand-gated ion channels or G-protein-coupled receptors. Neurotransmitters must be cleared from the prosynaptic receptors to stop the propagation of the signal, and there are three ways, so that it can either be enzymatically broken down, it can be absorbed back into the presynaptic cell by reuptake channels, or the neurotransmitter can diffuse out of the synaptic cleft. And then there are three types of neurons in the nervous system, so motor, efferent, interneurons, and sensory or afferent neurons. There is the CNS, which is the brain and spinal cord, and the PNS, which is cranial and spinal nerves. In the CNS, white matter consists of myelinated axons, and gray matter consists of unmyelinated cell bodies and dendrites. In the brain, white matter is deeper than gray matter, and in the spinal cord, gray matter is deeper than white matter. PNS has a somatic, voluntary, and autonomic automatic nervous systems, and the autonomic is further divided into parasympathetic, which is rest and digest, and sympathetic, which is fight or flight. And reflex arcs use the ability of interneurons in the spinal cord to relay information to the source of the stimulus while simultaneously rounding it to the brain. So in a monosynaptic reflex arc, the sensory, afferent, or presynaptic neuron fires directly onto the motor or efferent postsynaptic neuron, and in a polysynaptic reflex arc, the sensory neuron may fire onto a motor neuron as well as interneurons that fire onto other motor neurons. Okay, so thanks for listening, and we will see you all when we talk about the endocrine system.